Coming up on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be discussing the tools used to produce Destination Linux and all of our individual shows. We're going to take a look at Ubuntu 2004. We'll check out an exciting Raspberry Pi project along with the tips and tricks you've come to expect and so much more. All this coming right up on Destination Linux. Welcome to Destination Linux, episode 168. This is a podcast about sharing our passion for Linux open source. Destination Linux is a show for all experience levels, so don't worry whether you're a beginner or a master suitor, we welcome you to the show. My name's Noah. With me today are the Tiger Kings of Linux, Ryan, Eric, and Michael, none of which have been arrested for trying to keep Linux in captivity. We're trying to set it free. You did uh, see the show. I knew you'd <laughs> seen the show. <laughs> I'm stuck at home. What am I supposed to do? Eric, let's start with you this week. How have you been? Oh, it's been a very interesting week. So I didn't get to do many fun, geeky, Linuxy things because, well, all of my clients are home and they're bored. And all the open-ended projects that have been sitting out there for months and months, all of a sudden be have become priorities. So <laughs> I'm sure you've seen this as well. No, maybe, maybe not. But uh, they have had the time to think about, hey, maybe I do want to update my website or finish that project or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's great. I'm glad that, you know, I'm getting the influx of work, but it's it's definitely been a, a juggling act because it's like seven different people coming at me at one time and, <laughs> you know. Uh, so it's it's been great to make those connections again and make, you know, it's nice to see that they're all doing well and, you know, I enjoy doing the work, so that's good. But besides that, testing Ubuntu, they're in the, their beta week, their testing week, and so I've been running through and just trying some different flavors and trying to find things, some bugs, and it's been pretty solid, so have, hasn't been too much to uh, to report back on. Yeah, that's that's been Well, let's week. not forget that's that awesome. you do deal and extend as well. So those of you who don't know, maybe you're hiding under a rock, deal and extend podcast is an amazing part of the Destination Linux network. So check out deal and extend to hear more of Eric and Nate. Nate, who has an unhealthy obsession with OpenSUSE. Michael, what have you been up to this week? Well, I've been doing uh, a lot of stuff where I went testing out some my new teleprompter, which is fun. I'm going to talk about something later that's relevant to that. In the, later in the show. Uh, but also, I have been doing something that I have been saying that I will do for a very long time and never got around to it, but I am currently not running Kubuntu. I have actually wow. distro-hopped. Yes, I have distro-hopped. It's still Plasma, of course. But I'm using uh, Manjaro at the moment, and uh, this also means that we're recording the show on Manjaro as well oh. as doing... That's also... There was a little bit of a... Um, delay in the recording because I had to move things and I was like, all right, we're, we're ready to go. I've, I've thought I remembered everything except something I didn't remember. So I had to pause it and fix that. It's, it's I mean, actually, part of it's the, working out pretty part good. Part of though. the distro hopper club is you think you've got everything set up that you've done forever to video edit or whatever you're doing. And you realize, oops, I didn't move that thing over. Yeah. I have actually haven't experienced that problem in five, six years or so. So I forgot that that was going to be a thing, uh, but I actually had it prepared pretty well. Like my whole doing things, you know, shoe on head approach that Ryan likes to describe is, <laughs> is, is where I had like a separate drive where I backed up everything on it. So all my settings were available at any time and I could just mount that drive and have my stuff to pull over. So it wasn't a big deal to actually fix the things. I just had to mount the drive, pull the stuff, the files over and we're good. But uh, yeah, it was fun. So how and are you liking Manjaro? I like it a lot, actually. I, I didn't expect it to like as much as I did, 
and I am currently running. I've been running it for a couple days, and I've gone back and forth because I still have Kubuntu installed. Uh, so I, I switch back and forth depending on what if I need something extra or whatever. But uh, so far, I'm liking it a lot. I think there's some really cool ideas in Manjaro, and that like their welcome or their uh, hello Manjaro hello application mm-hmm. is really interesting. So overall, I'm I'm really excited to try it out. And I also uh, was since we had Philip on last week and we had the the interview with him. Uh, after after the show was over, he stayed in the patrons chat and we started talking about you know Manjaro and all kinds of stuff. And I made a suggestion to him, and it was the whole. I mean, people who've been watching the show for a while probably know of this the single click versus double click debate that I introduce a lot of the time, where. I don't like single click as a default because it's silly for people, for millions of people to switch over and then think you can't even get the mouse to work right. Why would I use this? So uh, I noticed that single click was on Manjaro and I told Philip and he was like, wait, what? No, we changed that. It turns out that a couple months ago, like sometime last year, they changed the location of where the setting is, which also changes the configs. Mm-hmm which broke their thing that they didn't know was not was not working. So three years ago, they had fixed it, made a double click, and then that change happened and broke it. And they had, they didn't know. So when I sent a message, he goes, okay, first, I want to prove that we did change it. Here's the commit that we changed <laughs> it. And then now here's the new commit that fixes it. I was like, that's fantastic. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons I liked, I liked my draws because they're, you know, quick to... Uh, you know, take suggestions and, you know, uh, feedback. They are. I would say that's one of the things that's really standing out to me with them is their communication between the end users and themselves is solid and on point. Question is, can they keep it up? I think that they're proving they can, but that, that would be the test of time because right now people are sending suggestions to them from my own patron group and others. They are just taking it and implementing the best of those suggestions near immediate, which is pretty awesome. So have you been using packages from the AUR? I don't know if I have. I, I know I've installed some stuff from Pac-Man. I don't think I've actually used the AUR yet. I okay. might have. I, I I know I activated the AUR, but I don't know if I actually used it yet. I don't remember. I would guess most of the stuff you need is probably already just in the repositories themselves, but... I was yeah. just curious if you had gone down that path yet. Yeah, I mean, I probably will, but I mean, I've used to use Arch a long time ago, so like I, I'm familiar with AUR, and I back in the day I used the AUR all the time, and uh, this time I was trying to do it like how far I could go without having to use it, and I don't remember why I activated it, but I did activate it for a reason, and well, well, the AUR is like the PPA of for new people of Ubuntu mm-hmm. or Debian based, right. The Arch user repository. So anybody who is a user of Arch could make package builds that they could put into this repository and then you can get files from them. However, it is worth noting that if you are not, you know, familiar with Manjaro or Arch or anything like that, uh, these, that AUR is not vetted by the Arch com- like maintainers and developers. So it's, you're essentially just trusting whoever made that package build that they did same it right. Same with or whatever. Yeah, same. People give it, I think, try to act like it's some yeah. wild, wild west thing, but it's the exact same thing as a PPA that well, you there's use a, in th- other districts. There's a difference because you can get official PPAs that are maintained by the actual developers and stuff like that, which does happen with AUR, just not as frequent. And I think the AUR as well, it, people, it, it has an undeserved negative reputation. Absolutely. If you go to GitHub or any other place and download the source of an application and compile it, it you, you don't know what the quality is or anything like that. So I agree that if it's in the repository, there is at least a certain amount of vetting that's happening. 
but let's not kid ourselves. I mean, not every package that's in every repo and every distro. Well, not only that, I think the other side of it is at least we have one central place to look. The problem that I have with websites just offering a deb on a website just to download is the fact that, you know, I, 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 had, a, I had an app that we talked about on, on Ask Noah this week called Mini Diary absolutely loved it. One of the greatest apps I've used in a long time. And when I first went to their site and they had a download, I thought, I don't know about this. And then I went and found it. It was in the snap store. What that tells me is this, at least if I go on the show and talk about it and say, Hey, there's this thing in the snap store, at least everybody is going to be going to the snap store and Mm. looking at that app. And we'd all know we'd have one central place to kind of have a, have a huddle. If there was a problem, the issue with the website and just having a dev to download, let's say somebody does do some oversight and finds an issue and says, Hey, there's an issue with this. And here's what I think the security issue is a privacy issue or whatever. Where does that person report that? And yeah. how is how am I going to how the next person that goes to download that deb going to see it with the website? There's no way to do that on GitHub. There is. So, you know, it, when it's open source, when it's in a, a central location, it's not that it necessarily has been vetted. But if some if somebody was going to vet it in the AUR, at least there's a place for them to leave a comment that provides a certain amount of, of security. It's yeah. You know, and to your point, too, if you are using the AUR, if you're not familiar with it, like Noah said, there's a website that has comments and it, it lists when it's last updated, what the upstream packages are. So all the information you need is there. I think where people might get in trouble is if they're using a package manager or an AUR helper, that they're not paying attention. But if you go out and look at the AUR, the specific package that you want to use, you're going to see what's the activity, when's the last time it was updated, are there any issues yeah. that are going on? And many on? of the helpers that are default actually provide you force you to say, no, I don't. It, it will provide you a preview of all the code and say, yeah. do you want to edit it and take a look at it? You have to actually say, no, I don't to continue the installation. So, I mean, it, it tries its best, I think, in a great way. And you don't get that with the PPA. So to me, they're in the same realm of, you know, yes, if you can get it from the normal repository, do so. But there's yeah. no more danger or less danger there than anything else. To Noah's point, so Manjaro specifically has Snap enabled. So if you're on Manjaro, you don't have to use the AUR. You can... Uh, Snaps and flat snap. packs and other yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. So. Ryan, was it you that said one time, even if you don't understand the code, even if you don't know what you're looking for, click on click on view code and scroll through it yep. anyway? I, I, I like it's that. amazing because there was, a, there was one package you know, that was found to be, and I don't even think this was a arch thing. It might've been in Ubuntu, one of, one of their packages well, I mean, or somewhere. Fair. That's what you would say, right? Well, no, I love Ubuntu. <laughs> I'm but just saying, I, I even think, if it I was an arch thing, this one was saying. arch, but I'm sure they had arch ones have had right. similar problems, but the particular yeah. code that was nefarious literally said Bitcoin mining somewhere in it. So it was like, you don't have to be a code expert to know that this is what this thing's doing. And so yeah. I do actually the AUR and snaps both had the exact same kind of problem where there was just like a crypto thing where you, if you just looked and the, like the first line was like, Hey, were you crypto mining? It's like, <laughs> yeah, so definitely take a look. Ryan, what have you been up to? So this week, Michael and I combined our local Linux user groups together into a virtual zoom chat, which was fun. So we combined Alabama and Georgia together and it was blast, I think. Uh, the problem was I was late and Michael covered for me. So people were really, I'm sorry, what really was, bored. I didn't understand. What did you say? I, w- I was saying, late, not was Michael. And I Michael was, was what? Late. Yeah, on Michael time, was late. managed it well. On time. Yes. Did he say yeah. on time? I can't, I can't that, make that that's, up. That's what he said. He was saying Michael was being responsible for once, which I appreciate I the kindness. There. It, uh-huh. it was shocking. 
all of us were shocking. shocked. I was I'm out shocked. building a gate and it turns out my carpentry, my computer skills do not translate to carpentry. So uh, I was out building a gate and lost track of time. And uh, Michael uh, covered for the first, I don't know, 45 minutes while I was building a gate. And uh, but anyways, I showed up and what was that, Michael? Was that I was saying I'm pretty sure it was like an hour, maybe hour, 10 minutes or something. 30 minutes, 20, whatever. In any case, we combined the groups. We had a really good discussion with everybody and discussing the the distros they use, desktop environments and all of that. And uh, of course, as you know, I've been still busy testing out Manjaro on all my machines, much like Michael, loving every second of it. So that's what I've been up to. That's awesome. So this week I had a unique opportunity. Obviously, as you as you might imagine, the world has has kind of gone sideways and I have like full on regressed into my home. The good news about that is um I've had a chance to 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 kind of circle back to some of the projects that we have been uh, that we've been circling around and and trying to do and and get off the ground for a little bit and so some of those are going to be come out, coming out on this Tuesday's episode of the Ask Noah as it is the three-year anniversary of the show next week been on the the air for three years and so we're we're trying to plan a couple of exciting things and and uh, and restructure a little bit and and get ready for for the year 2020 now this is going to be a particularly interesting year right because i rely heavily on the ability to go to conferences and meet with people Mm. and and bring people onto the show and 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 get connected that way and obviously this year is going to be very different and so what we've done is we've started reaching out to the people that we typically meet up with conferences or the people that present at conferences and say hey would you like to come on the show we know that you're not having an opportunity to do these things in your typical conference uh, atmosphere but we'd like to opt for you the opportunity for these talks that you've already presented and, and, and so on and so forth. And so uh, not this coming Tuesday, the, w- the week after Alan Jude is going to join us. We are going to deep dive into ZFS network security, file sharing. Um, oh, nice. This guy is one of the brightest guys ever to exist in the face of it administration. And he knows ZFS inside and out backwards and forwards runs a content distribution network uh, to get content out there and, and provides all of the streaming infrastructure for the Ask Noah show. And so I, I, I basically sat down and I said, how did you build this? Tell me how you built this. And it turns out it mm. starts way back in the early 90s, renting time on a Unix server so that you could get a shell account because he didn't want to wipe his operating system out. So fantastic wow. story. Really, really cool. That's coming out. I think not, not this, this coming week, the week after. Um, and so, uh, yeah, be sure to check that out, but that's what I've been up to. This episode of destination Linux and the entire DLN network is now sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most cloud friendly developer platform out there. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with their intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. Listen, I can read you the sales brochure, but the truth is you just have to go out there and try it. You have to go over to DigitalOcean, use our promo code, go to do.co slash DLN and just try it. Just get started with that $100 credit for two months, spin up a server and see what it's like to have NextCloud in your life. See what it's like to start jettisoning all of the Google type stuff and getting over to something that you host, that you own, you control. In the COVID 2019 world, what we're seeing in the IT spaces as businesses come down, the first thing they do, start cutting those monthly services. What happens with that? They start looking at things like, oh, we're going to get rid of Office 365. The user says, oh, that's fine. I'll check my email somewhere else. But they didn't consider the fact that their calendars on there and their files are on there and they use the 
the sync feature of OneDrive and all of those things and, and have teams for, for, for group collaboration. What if you were to host your own Mattermost instance? What if you had CFile? What if you had NextCloud? And what if your entire business could be run for $5 a month because that's what their entry-level droplet starts with? And then you can tie it using all of their API options to a bunch of other infrastructure so that you can control those servers, manage those servers, update those servers, keep them up to date, and use them from anywhere, including your mobile phone. That's right. They have an Android app that you can control your droplets with. Absolutely crazy and all capable and ready because of that API and their amazing dashboard. And we're going to give you $100 credit to get started with that for free at do.co slash DLN. A huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the entire DLN network and specifically this episode of Destination we were talking about all these issues with zoom and i'm like you know jitsi seems like it should work well but i know the free jitsi.meet service is kind of you know it, it's questionable and depending on where you are and, and all that and the latency so i'm like you know what? i'm just going to spin up a droplet and then put jitsi on it and see what how it goes the first time i did it i messed something up and i couldn't get the certificate to work so i'm like you know what? And spending instead of spending the next hour trying to figure that out, I'm just going to destroy it and start over because it took me ten minutes. Like whoop de doo. And then the second time I did it, it worked fine, and now it's up and running. And I'm going to test it this week. And it, what's it going to cost me? You know, fifty cents, a dollar. So it's it, it is truly is. Uh, it's it's hard to to get that. Like you're saying, no, it's it's kind of hard to get that across to people, like how powerful that is. Because yeah. then it brought me back to the idea of like. Can you remember when servers were a physical thing and how hard it was to deal with imaging the server and trying yep. to like, mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> you would, you would, you would get paralysis of the analysis. You'd sit there and go, do I run this command or that one? Well, let's look at what these commands do and see how hard it will be to undo them. And I'll start with the least, inv- like you, you play that game, right? Because if now, I'm wrong, it's going to cost me. Right? <laughs> if I'm right. wrong, I got to go break out all 11 CDs or all 15 yep. floppy disks and start over with the operating system. <laughs> it, it is amazing. It's fundamentally changed the way I do my business with mm-hmm. websites. And it is, it, it's amazing. And the fact that it's $5 is ridiculous, right? Yeah, and, it is. It's not even $5. We give you that credit for free. You get a hundred bucks. You don't even have to pay for it. The first two months, you're not going to pay for it. In fact, you could, I don't know why anybody would spin up a $5 drop, but you should be spending up $50 droplets <laughs> just for fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. why not? We're going to give it to you for free. Benjamin writes in to us to say, Dear Destination Linux, the Earnit IT Act is a proposed law in the United States that is being created to fight online child exploitation. While it's imperative to protect children online, I'm concerned about the privacy implications of such a law. Such a law could make encryption methods moot, as the law could force companies to include even more backdoors into their user data. What does Destination Linux think about this issue? I think we can all agree that protecting children online is important, but could we do a better job without such horrible privacy violations? Here's a link to the article of the proposed law. And then he links to the, the Verge, which we'll have a link for you in the show notes. So I have covered this on not one, but two different episodes of Ask Noah last week. Yeah. We actually dove into it pretty deep and 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 got into the 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 if, ands, and whys about it. So I guess I'll start with you, Ryan. What are your thoughts on the Earn It Act? You have kids. You don't want kids to die or be exploited or you know be abused. And yet uh, you use the internet. So what say you? I mean, I'll go back to the same thing I've said when I see these laws pop up every time. The government is going to take away your privacy every time under the disguise of this is going to keep children safe. This is going to stop terrorists. This is going to help us fight these things that pull at our heartstrings. We all know there are a million different things that could happen, companies they could go after, senators, politicians they could go after that have 
we know are involved in horrendous acts, but they choose instead to go after the general privacy of the public under the disguise of, hey, we could stop these horrible acts from happening with kids and acting like, I don't know, that the people who do this stuff don't have billions of dollars and are going to spin up some of their own instance or use some other service that works or around it or for, circumvent it some other way. It's sign just up for a VPN joke. service for 10 bucks. You know? Exactly. The, the whole guise of this is so that they can have a backdoor into everybody's data digitally and force companies to comply with it. And of course, they shove this law down everybody's throat right at the time when people are most distracted. And if it doesn't go through now, it'll go through the next time a disaster hits. They'll bring it back up and try to shove it through. And this is just a further violation of people's rights. That's the end result of this. Yeah. Michael, what are your thoughts? I think it's absolutely disgusting. Like one, it's disgusting that they are using children as a ploy to ruin encryption. And they even specifically said that they're, they, they intended, like before this even, this, this act was written or publicized, they specifically said, like three of them, that they wanted to end encryption because they're, you know, they, they need to have access to see everyone's data and stuff like that. And I think that's just in general, the idea of destroying encryption is disgusting and idiotic really but using children as a you know a ploy to pull at heartstrings in order to get this done is even more disgusting and just and the fact that they're doing it during a pandemic to try to hide it behind like the the noise of what's going on it's like like the level of disgust that i have for this is just i i, I don't i can't even describe that it. it's just eric ugh. what are your thoughts well no the way that you you i, I believe it was you in the first episode that you covered this where you talked about in the history of of the world there has never been a situation like encryption where it literally is a secret there's nothing that anyone can do to get at that data if they don't have the information you know in the right past there could have been secrets but they were impossible to keep a safe can be broken open that sort of thing and um, i think it just presents the government and others in power authority with a challenge that they've never faced before and they're they're trying very hard to find a way around this. And yes, if they're going to use children, if they're going to use exploitation of any kind, if they're going to, that, that's how, like Ryan said, this is always how this happens. You know, it's under the guise of it's, you know, fighting terrorism or fighting, you know, exploitation of children or something like that. It's the overreach, right? That's always the part that scares mm -hmm. me. And so what you're, what you're referring to is, is, you know, in in the history of time, we've always had privacy in the realm of we create laws that say that people can't violate privacy. We might have a safe that if any ordinary person walks up and tries to open, no, nope, it's locked. You can't get in. Right. But the truth is, if the proper protocols are followed, they can go get drill patterns. They can go get explosives. They can go get plasma cutters and they can eventually defeat any lock. And so really a, a safe up until now has been to keep the honest people honest. What we are seeing with encryption in a post-known world is uh, essentially the, and, and again, I went into this in deep, so I'm not going to repeat everything here, but the short version, the 15 second uh, 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 cliff notes would be Edward Snowden came out and said, here's what the government is doing. They're not respecting the laws as they said that they would. And technological nerds looked up and went, oh, really? Well, 
this is a solvable problem. Look what math can do. And, and, and so what had happened is back in the early 90s, Congress had passed laws to kind of shape the Internet, including Section 230, the Communications Decency Act. And Section 230 essentially uh, said that if you have a platform and people post things on your platform, those people can be held accountable for them and you should preserve any evidence and, and turn it in. But you can't be held accountable for that information that somebody else posted on your platform. And then the Communications Assistant for Law Enforcement Act of 1994 basically said that law enforcement had to be able to place taps on telephone networks so that they could uh, follow through with um, with warrants. Now, Senator Lindsey Graham and Richard Blumenthal have come forward and said basically what they want to do is they want to remove the Section 230 Communications and Decency Act um, that that provides a, a amnesty for, for these companies that host these platforms. And instead, they he wants to make them liable for the content that people post on their websites. As to the answer of how can we possibly hold Twitter accountable for the actions of all of its users, they're saying, well, we won't necessarily hold them accountable if they are following what we decide are best practices then we will then they can earn their section 230 back hence why they're calling it the earn it act the problem with this is there is no uh, checks and balances over what these best practices are going to be. And as Michael has correctly pointed out, there have been multiple people that have been involved in this process that have come out very strongly against encryption. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that if we want to prosecute people for the content that they post online, then first the company must be able to see that content, thereby circumventing or bypassing any form of encryption. And that if they don't have the capability of doing that, then they will remove the Section 230 protections, which means they are going to get sued if somebody posts something that is objectionable. And so what's going to happen is if you're Twitter, the business model is fundamentally not operational if encryption is a part of this, right? Because you can't comply with the sections of the Earn It Act. And so um, and this 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 idiotic 15 member commission that they're going to do, which, by the way, has nobody from the general public, nobody from human rights groups, nobody from civil liberties groups. It's all law enforcement, tech companies, mm. child safety organizations, computer scientists, those kinds of people. And while I'm sure they're very, very smart, this is this is a stupid law. And so I, I really, really strongly in the strongest possible ways encourage people to to understand what this law is, what they're trying to accomplish, why it's not doing anything. As Michael said, it's disgusting that they are using the ploy of children and children's safety. I have three kids. I would rip to shreds anybody who ever tried to hurt them or exploit them. At the same time, people have a biological expectation of privacy and to the extent that we involve ourselves with technology and become and 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 turn those things as to an extension of our personal selves to the point that we are sharing very intimate moments with our loved ones and 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 you know and um, and significant others those kinds of things should not be privy to uh, to to unconstitutional illegal searches uh, regardless of what they think they're trying to accomplish. And if anybody wants to debate me on this and tell me how this is going to help bring people who are exploiting children, I, I would be glad to have that conversation with you. But so far as they have presented it to date, there is nothing in this bill, nothing whatsoever that allocates money, research, funding, technology, anything to actually finding these people. All they are trying to do is skim down privacy in the hope that stupid people will get caught in the process. That's right. The only thing that shocks me about this bill is it wasn't named something like, you know, don't kick babies act or something where it, the, the name is pretty itself, close. 
Yeah. Ernadac is pretty close. Because they usually, you know, do that type of stuff. But I, I really recommend you support EFF organization. They have been fighting for privacy. They have been on the forefront of this issue, trying to get word out to people to write your local governments and to try to get people to listen to what's happening, even with all the COVID noise going on. Uh, EFF also has a nice form on their website that will, you can put your information of where you live, your location, uh, and it will pull up your local senators and a nice template, though I highly recommend and they recommend that you don't use their template verbatim because if everybody sends the same letter, then those government officials kind of know that it's just noise, but customize that with the general theme of this is what the problem is. This is what it's going to cause. Please don't you know, go forward with this bill so that people know that we're not going to stand for this type of thing. You know, I, I will tell you something, having worked in talk radio and having worked very, very closely into politicians, I will tell you, even if it was just the stuff, even all you did was copy and paste the template letter, even if you didn't change your name into the thing, the way that that translates is the aide walks into the senator, congressman, whoever, and goes, Bob, we have like 13,000 emails of people all saying the same thing that they don't want you to do. And it does make an effect and it doesn't yeah. matter. Even if they it, it, they don't see it as noise, they see it as this is something that some organization has focused on and raised attention to. And so they better tread carefully. I think um, it's mainly if so, it's exactly the same that people could like they could just filter it out. They could just say if it has this content, they might, but they, but they won't, though. That's what I'm trying to tell you. They, they're, they're very despite the reputation that politicians in this country get, they are actually very interested in what. Uh, in what their constituents have to say, and particularly they are interested anytime there is a large collection of constituents all saying the same thing. They take that very seriously. So if you can customize it, by all means do so. If you can't, don't let it stop you from just sending the the template because it will do something. It will. Good point. There's one more thing I wanted to point out because you're talking about how the security aspect, you know, you're, you're either... You can't have security and liberty at the same time. Absolute security means you basically have no liberty. Uh, But there's also this interesting aspect to this particular act is that it's not only is it bad in the terms of breaking encryption, it's also bad for stopping child exploitation online because it makes it where there's a requirement that people would have to be tracking the children, which violates the COPPA stuff. And which violates other a bunch of other things to make sure that these this data is being is being collected. So there was actually a report we went through the, the structure of it and said that basically what you're going to be doing is turning it the exact opposite of what you want it to do. It will just actually create bigger problems for children and parents having to deal with this kind of thing rather than what you you were trying to do in the first place. So it's not only is it a ploy or a guise to to put you know the safety of children. Uh, to accomplish what the nonsense they really want is to break encryption, they'd actually put the safety of children in in, in jeopardy because of it. To, to your point, when you make a big public deal out of we're coming after child predators, it, here's the thing. The Internet is smart, right? You're never going to be able to control the flow of information. And so what you have to ask yourself is, OK, if we ban in, if we if we if we pass this act, let's say it went through and people couldn't po- post exploitive material on Twitter, Facebook, wherever. Does that solve the problem? And the answer is that's probably not the places that these people are going to to begin with. And I understand that it's a general approach. Well, whatever platform it is, the problem is there is we have the technology to do things peer to peer. We have the technology to do things without having a central platform to begin with, thereby completely circumventing the entire teeth of this law as it as it begins with. So 
what you, then the question becomes, well, can we actually do away with encryption? And of course, the answer is no. And then you have to look at the downsides to doing away with encryptions on those big platforms. What happens? Everybody's privacy from the top to the bottom, no matter what they're doing, is violated. Meanwhile, all the people that are doing the really disgusting, like really terrible stuff have completely left the platform because they're not that dumb. Yeah. yeah, this is just like when the music industry is like, oh, we got a new form of DRM that will keep people from copying music. And the one geeks there, like, hold my beer five minutes later after their billion dollars of DRM protection, it's removed in five minutes. And it's no different here. They're just going to move to a different platform. It's actually going to be harder to find these people and it's going to be harder to track them down. It does nothing, but it wasn't meant you, to do anything. I'm glad you brought DRM up. Consider I haven't pirated music in. 15 years. And it's not because I have suddenly woken up and said to myself, oh, you know, there's a certain amount of when you start working and making money and have money to spend on those kinds of things, then you know that opens up. But the other part of it is I can buy any song I want for 99 cents off Amazon. It's all tagged correctly. It's the right, uh, it's the right artist and the, uh, and the, the exact right version. There's no weird encoding in it. I don't have to worry about viruses or anything else in there. They're all named correctly. They're put into a folder. I can download them. Like it's great. Why would I not use that service? The the same is true of when you're trying to catch predators, when you start looking at this stuff and saying, how can we lower the barrier of entry for them to do the right thing and raise the barrier of entry for them to do the harder thing? That's how you solve this problem. And nobody's approaching the problem like that. Everybody's approach, approaching the problem as, well, how can we just exert more control and try and force people to do this, that or the other? It will never work. Yep. Well, to your to your point about it does feel like it's maybe just a, a little bit of a laziness. They don't either want to or have the ability or the the know how. It was never actually, their intent to begin with. Well, if to to everybody's point here, the bad actors are not going to just. It's not going to you know end up that they get caught doing something or they're going to circumvent it anyway. So the real police work or the effort that needs to be done to find these people is this. This doesn't solve that. Uh, maybe it makes it a little easier to get to the information, but uh, no, was it you that had said something like, wouldn't this be great if we had a open source approach to this and, yeah. you know, found a way yeah. to sort of, you know, focus efforts on like, how can we come up with ways to track? Yeah. This? Well, what, what I said was the technical, I have found time and time again, that the, the way that you solve technological problems, the most efficient and smartest way ever is open them up to the community, go to the community and say, here's our problem community. We have, here's what you'd have. Here's how this would work. You'd post on Reddit that here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to forget the Earn It Act. We want to catch and kick child predators off the internet. How are we going to do this? And here's what would happen. You create that Reddit thread. Computer experts, forensic experts, hackers, people that do things you wouldn't even want to know about will all come to this Reddit thread. They will see this and they'll say, well, here's how you could solve this. Here's how you could do that. And you'd wind up with the, 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 the most undercover, deep spy people ever into every imaginable facet of the internet tracking IP addresses and, 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 and establishing rapport with these people to try to lure them into these. I mean, it would, that's the way you solve these problems. You get the community involved and you say, here's a problem. We want this, we want this trash out of our community. How do we fix it? And then let the vast majority of the internet, which is probably like 95% of people who are decent, good working people who just, you know, we were all different, but we're all generally good people and agree that these people are the scum of the earth would come out and fight these people. But that's not what they're doing. Instead, they're making enemies out of everyone. Yeah. Well, that's why we love 
the community sending in questions like that because it spontaneously creates a great discussion we weren't expecting. You got us all riled up over this because <laughs> it's something we're all very passionate about. So thank you again for the community for continuing to send in your stream of comments. And if you want to send in your comments to the show, hit us up, your video links or emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. So we get a lot of questions about the particular hardware and software that we use to make the various shows on DLN. So we thought it'd be fun to go through the equipment we consider to be vital to make the content that you love. And we have hundreds of people of uh, hundreds of different countries that watch our content. And we get a lot of emails and comments and stuff from all different types of people asking us to be, you know, specific about how we create our shows. So we're going to talk about our own individual shows as well as the Destination Linux itself. Uh, So if you've ever wanted to get into making video or audio content in Linux, this is going to be the segment for you. So in this way, it's actually for our advantage, because now anytime anybody asks, we'll be like, go back to listen to episode 168, (laughs) where we cover every piece of equipment and episode we use. So I think the first thing we have to drop just because is DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is our website's front page Linux that just launched. The website content that you enjoy all goes through DigitalOcean hosted web server. So I would consider that vital. DOS Geek channels on DigitalOcean. I think all of our content for the most part is pretty much there. Yeah, DigitalOcean is a massive importance. Actually, we have a lot of our services that are, you know, we we're going to talk about a couple in a minute, but we have a lot of them being powered by DigitalOcean because it just makes it so uh, it makes it so much easier to do it as well as seamless and the management like we talked about in the the ad, the ad read with like the the part where you can just set up a a, sna- a snapshot and if you when you do upgrades, you don't have to worry about oh Am I going to break something? Because like, it doesn't, even if it does, you could just go back and turn the snapshot back on and you're good. It takes like five minutes, maybe, and it's fantastic. So, um, we actually have a lot of services on that, including the Dis- discourse forum and the mumble server and all this other stuff is running through DigitalOcean. Mm-hmm. So that's a big piece of our, uh, our pie, I guess. And we also have a lot of different hardware and software things to talk about. So first of all, for the software, let's talk about my favorite. OBS. OBS. It's got to yes. be OBS. I knew yes. you're going to go OBS. All of us have to use OBS. Yeah. I, I, I was going to. I was. I was going to think either it was going to be OBS or I was going to say the the plugin for OBS that uh, that lets him mark time. Well, yeah, that's just a go. benefit of uh, the the plugin is very powerful. So for, for those who are interested, it allows you to uh, when you hit you hit a certain key on your keyboard, it will put a, a timestamp for the duration of the recording into a text a text file that tells you like when you hit the timestamp or when you hit the button and a little note that you have attached to it. If well, you go want. ahead and say what you use those notes for. You use the notes when you make mistakes probably no, 30, 40 I, times during the recording I, of the show. I don't show. make mistakes. And I should, though, my, my, but I don't. My note says stool stop seems... when he has to stop because of an error I made. Yeah, hey, Michael, can you hold up stop. your keyboard? I know not everybody's watching on video, but your macro keyboard that you use, notice that there are no... There, there's nothing to designate there's what nothing. the keys are. They're blank because right. those are all when Michael makes a mistake, he presses one of those keys and his fingers have over time wiped off all of the keys from yeah. all the mistakes. So they're that all, he so made. every key is just a mistake for me, and I do it so yes. many that I have that that would have to, that would take me like a decade to do. So I appreciate well, you. Wow, you know you had that keyboard for a decade. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> anyway, wow. uh, I do actually use this keyboard a lot, and, I, and people have asked about it before, and I use it to optimize my OBS as well as my Caden Live editing, uh, and it is fantastic. And if you're interested, we'll have a link in the show notes for it. It's a, uh, it's basically like the reason why it has, it doesn't have like, you know, 
the any labels is because it can be anything you want it to be. And just I use actually your imagination. don't. Yeah, exactly. I don't need to have labels anyway. There's that. So OBS is probably the most important. I assume you use, I use OBS for hardware addicts even, even though it's an audio only podcast, I use OBS through that for recording and getting the audio yeah. out. I don't know, Eric, do you use OBS? I, I was going to, yeah, I was going to say, so I use it to record just because it's the best option. So streaming, obviously recording, and I actually came up against an interesting situation recently. I've switched uh, rooms and I'm in a much smaller space now and it gets very warm in here. So, and it's also acoustically, you can hear fans and things like that. So I don't want my laptop fans to spin up if I can. So I'm like, okay, well, what do I do here so that I can record the video of this desktop, but not have to have the overhead of, you know, doing the encoding and, and recording on this system. There's a, a plugin for OBS called NDI that lets you offload so i have my desktop in, in the office in another room and over the network i can essentially stream my desktop or my laptop to my desktop it does the recording so it's using the cpu and the all the stuff that that you know obs is doing to record it's piping my video and audio essentially what you would see in the presentation of obs on the laptop and so that makes it so that i can do all that in here without my laptop having to do that that work itself and so and exactly so it stays quiet how, how are you encoding the ndi i mean there's nothing really to set up there's a source and a, and a destination but what i'm saying is you run obs with the ndi plugin on your laptop as well yes yes so that's the source so okay, that got it. And, it, and it basically just pipes everything that you would be so your scene that you're showing in obs that's mm -hmm. getting piped over as a source to the destination which is on my desktop that is then capturing that and recording it. And there's no latency that I can see and the audio quality, video quality, you know, no That's artifacts. Amazing. Yeah. It's, I didn't it's, even know this was the thing. It's a mm -hmm. plugin. It says it describes well, as a, at simple audio video input now put over IP using new techs well, in DI technology. So, so, so new tech was a company or is a company, I should say that makes a lot of professional, uh, professional broadcast equipment and devices. And what NDI is, is video over IP, real-time video over IP. And the idea is to replace the coax cables that come off of professional TV cameras with uh, network encoded video. That's low latency. The, the, the thing that is great about OBS is they're really catching on at the very forefront of this because this is still not, this is, it's big inside of major TV stations and stuff like that. And certainly as it is making its way into conferences and, and so on and so forth, but it still has not become the standard right now. The standard is still to capture a, a, a digital capture, whether that's SDI or, or HDMI. And so NDI is essentially SDI over IP. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd say the next software I use to write the show every single week is Cody MD. That's on a CloudRon Digital Ocean server. Mm -hmm. So Cody is kind of utilizes markup language and is one of the best editors out there, I think, and is reliable. We use it every single week. It allows us to have the perfect format for the show notes every single week when we also can export it into a PDF. You can secure it so that while I'm working on the show, nobody else can edit it. But even while we're doing the show live, we can do live edits on this sheet. We can tell people, hey, you're going on too long or let's stop after this and take a break right in the show and you see it live with them. So if you've ever used the services where multiple people can you know, collaborate on a single document, that's what Cody allows us to do and has been our solution for a long time now here on 
destination Linux. Yeah. And I finally bugged you enough to, to give it to uh, Nate and I so that we could use it for DLN extend. It, <laughs> one, one thing I, one thing I have to point out here's the, the, the conversation originally when we started discussing having me come on to destination Linux, you know, they, 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 I think Michael, you were the one that called and you said, Hey, uh, you know, we have this idea. We're really hoping you do this or whatever. I said, Oh, great. And the more I hear about what, what they're doing, the ex- more excited I get and the happier I am and the more proud I am. And, and then I sit down for the first week of show prep and I'm like, ah, this is great. Ah, back to podcasting. You know, the great thing about podcasting was, you know, I'm doing this and Google Docs. Why are they using Google Docs? I hate Google Docs. Google Docs is the worst part of podcasting. I want nothing to do with the show. Why did I come up? What is Google Docs? And then what, like two weeks later, three weeks later, we switched and I have now used Cody MD for everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just like it, people can't understand how great uh, Cody MD is like, and, and the thing is the things that I hear people comparing them to or trying to use in place of Cody MD is, is laughable. It, once you've actually used it, the fact that you don't ever have to click save or you don't have to remember anything. The fact that it has dark theme, the fact that it loads instantaneously. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so, many, there's so many things about Cody MD that I, I'm a huge fan. Like when I, when I first was like, I introduced it to Ryan when we were having a conversation about like, he was helping me with the, this week in Linux notes. And he was like, what do you use for the, 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 it's like, well, I have this thing called HackMD, which is the company that makes Cody MD. And they, uh, they have this service that I was using. And then uh, when we, we were trying it out, then like he, he said, I wish there was an open source version of that. And I'm like, I wonder if there is. And turns out, yes, yes, there is. And they made it too. And they, so the Cody MD is actually the open source version of the HackMD service. And it's C-O-D-I-M-D for those who are wanting to check it out. It is fantastic because not only is it basically a collaborative editor and a collaborative docs value, but it also has my favorite piece is the shortcut and the functionality that it borrows from other editors. So there's, I'm a huge fan of sublime text. It actually has a lot of functionality that sublime text has and supports the shortcuts to accomplish those tasks in the editor. Multiple cursors. Oh my gosh. When I am writing a show, the amount of times I have to use multiple cursors to indent a big block of code or to make edits to multiple things at once is I do it constantly all throughout the mm-hmm. week as I'm making the show. So it, it, the multiple curses is probably one of the greatest features out there. Yeah, well, the fact me. that it's Markdown is really the, the best that thing. Too. Yeah. A lot of people haven't made the switch to Markdown. And if you haven't taken the time, if you do any kind of documentation at all, ever, and you're still using like a word processor to do it, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you have I agree. You, you have to try Markdown. Yeah, Markdown it, is nice, but I I, just, I do want to go back to the multiple cursors just because that's that's what sold me on Sublime when I first found it because I was there, I was watching this because I was using different editors and you know I didn't really have a preference or whatever. Then I saw this video and they they described the multiple cursors and I was like, what? And then I started playing with it and it's so powerful. And then when I found Cody MD and, I, and then if one of the features was like Sublime Tech Support, like what does that mean? And then they have everything that I loved about Sublime inside of this editor. And it's like, this is awesome. And maybe though you don't like Sublime for some reason, you have bad decision skills. Uh, there's, <laughs> there is support for using Emacs and Vim shortcuts as well. So if you wanted to use that, you can do that as well. So I think CodyMD is pretty awesome. And so you met, you heard Ryan mention that it's, it's self-hosted. So um, DLN's hosting. Yes. It. To be fair, uh, HackMD, which is the the company that's making CodyMD, 
they have free hosted plans for individuals and public teams. And then their private teams, you know, it's $5 a month per user. So it's negligible. And if you like the service and you don't want to self-host, they have a great implementation of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely worth it. If you don't, if you don't want to do the self-hosting thing, you don't need to use CodeMD. HackMD is a great service, which I did use prior to saying CodeMD existed. So Caden Live is the next big one. All the video editing Michael does for the show, which if, you know, the reason why most of the podcasts you listen to there out there are audio only is because making a video podcast is insanely a thousand times more difficult than doing an audio podcast. Much I can more. say this experience. I have to edit my own channel on Das Geek, which is video content, but doesn't have five other people to potentially mess up. And I also edit Hardware Addicts, which is audio only. I would take doing Hardware Addicts editing all day long over even editing me by myself doing video content. It's just so much easier. (laughs) You do not have to sync up audio and video. And when you cut something, you don't have to worry about somebody looking goofy right at the moment you make a cut or trying to make it sync and look like one big piece. Kanan Live allows us to do all the things that we need to do to edit for this show. Yeah, I think Caden Live is a fantastic editor. It gives me a lot of features. I mean, it's not the favorite for everybody, but I think it's it's awesome because it allows it's 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 a very powerful open source editor. In fact, and I have actually created like custom scripts that automate some certain things and here and there. Uh, in fact, I have one script that automates the timestamps that come from the thing we talked about in OBS that will put those timestamps into guides in Caden Live, which allows me to streamline my editing to a point. I mean, not completely, still takes eight hours or so, but it used to take 15 hours. So big improvement there. Uh, but I do like video editing is definitely. A, a, a torturous thing, especially when you have a bunch of uh, co-hosts like Noah that or, are so or professional Ryan like me who do things like. In fact, you should be able to do it in just two hours. You could probably just send it raw if you weren't making mistakes all the time. Yeah, or sir, also some clapperboards attached to the. Yeah, there's that's there too. Uh, Those but, help you. Yeah, yeah sure. We're trying to help you. Sure, there's. Why super is the clapperboard not on the list? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Clapperboards. Let's add it. Clapperboards are a big part of why Michael's able to edit the show well, and get it out. Actually, in- really, the top one. Yeah, Michael, right, you, right. you've also you've also made suggestions to the project, and and you've had some issues where they've helped you right overcome some things. So again, being an open source project and having that feedback channel has been a, a it's oh, yeah, helped you sure. a lot right there's a lot of times where i would have so i would have a feature that i would want i was like man it'd be really good if kaden live had this so i contact the i go into the kaden live telegram group and say hey is there any way we could get this feature and, they, and one of one time they actually was said well actually we created this feature for the last couple of versions but we didn't activate it because we didn't have time to finish it yet so and we didn't think anybody would be interested in this and it was a very you know uh, esoteric question or request that i had it was like because there's there's different guides on the timeline that you can create but you can also have special colors of that but that was not available at the time and i was like hey would it be it, how hard would it be to add different colors for the different type of guide and they're like well we already did that i was like really and then once I found that, once I found that out, I was like, Hey, could you, could you? And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll get it to you in the next, next week or so. And whatever. And then like three days later, it was available in like the dailies and stuff. So like just having, a, you, you know, using your, in your system to have the open source workflow is very beneficial in that sense as well, because they, they, a lot of the times the developers will there be there to help you to do that kind of thing, especially with this particular project for sure. Because we'll never get through this segment if we don't hurry up some, we'll go ahead and do some others pretty fast here. Alphonic is an amazing automatic audio post-production tool that we utilize that helps improve kind of the audio quality, set the right sound levels for everybody, 
in an automated way mm-hmm. and is a fantastic tool we use for podcasting. Fireside.fm is where we're hosting everything. Now the part that's going to get Noah very excited here is we're going to talk about the hardware that we use to make podcasts. And I know, Noah, this is something where we have our way of doing hardware, us kind of rookies, but you've got all this fancy doing this for so many years that you do in a professional capacity, pieces of equipment that you utilize. So I have a Procaster mic. You use a Procaster mic now here, Mm -hmm. but let's talk about some of the stuff you use for Ask Noah that's a little bit different. So one of the things that you find is if when you're doing things on a small scale, if you're doing a single show and it's the same thing every time, and it's just you, you can get away with a, a USB audio interface and a good quality microphone. And, and you know, you're, you and I are both fans of the DBX286S, uh, a processor that it, it contains three vital functions. It functions as a gate, which will eliminate noise below a certain threshold. It'll act as a compressor, which if you think of the way that an audio waveform is, you're essentially making the loud loudest parts of the song the same as the 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 softest parts of the song and then we make the entire song loud so that when you're listening into your car my voice might be a little softer than ryan's voice will both sound the same um and the is that does it do a ds or two yep can't remember so it'll it'll remove like it'll remove it'll shape the sounds of our our voice to be more um to be more desirable. I guess that's the easiest way to do it. The pro- so here's where you get into here's where it becomes problematic and why I do it a little bit differently. For every host on the show, every host will have to have one of those DBX 286s, which are $300. And for $300, they are the best processor out there under that price point, but obviously when you start getting up into the $1000 and $2000 range, then there are better uh, vocal processors that are there. One of the best vocal processors out there is made by a company called Telos, Telos Axia, and they make uh, a very, very good vo- vocal processor called the Voco 8 or Voco 6, something like that. Um, and the microphone processing that Axia provides is just unheard of. I mean, it just sounds fantastic. And so I use a Axia system, and the way that that works is the microphone are actually plugged into a digital encoder. And that digital encoder then encodes that audio over TCP IP packets and, uh, excuse me, UDP packets, I believe. And they hit the uh, uh, processing uh, computer that runs Linux. And that processing computer is what combines those individual audio streams together. Now, the advantage of doing that is every computer, every microphone has, a, has, a out, has an input, a digital input, and every headphones have a digital output. And of course, once that's brought into the Axia mixing software, then I can create mixes however I want. So for example, Ryan wants to hear myself and Michael and whoever else. And then Ryan just wants to hear all of that as one stream back to him. But I want my voice recorded in on one recorder and I want Michael's voice recorded on a second one and I want Ryan's recorded on a third one. And then I want all four of us recorded on a fourth one. Um, I can go into Audacity and, and say, I want four tracks and I want this to be Axia, this channel, this to be this channel and this uh, a mix of all of these channels and it will record all of those. And so when I'm doing the kind of shows that I'm doing and where I'm having people call in on the phones, I'm having people join me with Mumble, I'm having people Skype in, I'm having people Zoom, I'm having people on Source Connect, which is something we'll talk about in a second. All of those individual sources, trying to bring them in and then deliver a separate mix. We have different music that we play on the podcast versus what plays on the radio because of licensing and so on and so forth. Um, all of and, and we want to record that music bed as a separate audio track so that in post, if I make a mistake or something like that, we can go back and correct it without having to re-record the entire first segment or we can do all of those things and that's very powerful the problem is 
for that to work and for it to be that dynamic, I have to have everything as its own IP address. And so every audio source is its own um, is, is its own audio stream. And essentially, they are just RTP streams. And they're all individual RTP streams on, on this large network. And then dynamically on the fly, when I say we're going to take a call from Mumble, I click a button in Rivendell, which is an open source automation system that can talk to the Axia and make these audio change configurations on the fly. I click Mumble. It automatically says, okay, I'm going to listen to the Mumble level. I'm going to turn the level up to this particular thing so that we're hitting this mark. And if it's a little lower, I'll bump this guy up. And if he's a little hot, I'll bump him down. I'll get it to the exact right level. Then I'm going to go and take that and I'm going to turn that source on in the main board. I'm going to assign it to the program mix, which is what the audience hears. I'm also going to assign it to the recorder, so the recorder picks up what he's going to say. I'm going to put it in Noah's headphone mix so that he can hear them. And then we have the conversation. Then when I'm done, I push one bit button on my broadcast console, and it automatically shuts Mumble off in the program mix, stops the recording, go ahead and, and mutes it, but it still delivers the return audio feed back to Mumble so they can continue to listen to the show. And all of this happens because I clicked a button. And the same thing happens when I answer a phone call. I don't have to think about it. I just, my call screener says, here's a phone call. Here's what we're going to do. I click on a button and everything else happens for me. And that just simply wouldn't be possible with an analog mix because I can't have little robots turn dials and stuff like that. So it, it it's substantially more complicated. It's incredibly more expensive to do it that way, but it allows me to provide a, a very dynamic show without having to think about it. I can think about just hosting the show. I don't have to pay anybody to run a board. I just click buttons and the broadcast system will take care of itself. I think that's amazing. I think it's amazing to hear about all the technology that goes into the Ask Noah show. For those who can't afford that or don't need that, going back to the DBX286S though, this is why you don't hear my kids in the background. I have two small kids running up like crazy upstairs, making noise, screaming, yelling at each other, all of this stuff, dogs barking, the neighbor deciding to run the lawnmower in the middle of the show, the gate on the DBX 286S is what keeps all that sound out. And all you hear is my voice. And that's one of the amazing things about that. But certainly if we ever wanted to take this show on the road, that's why having Noah here is so important because what he just described to you, you can't go carrying around all the stuff we have and actually make a professional show very easily. That way we would just be like, Noah, we're taking the show on the road. So, Figure so out our audio. I'd be like, Noah, well, we just need to take rock band mics. Oh, so, and to, to address that for a second. So when we do self, essentially, this is the conversation that happens. Hey, we want to do a show from self, make that happen. And I say, no problem. And I bring a single audio encoder decoder that I connect and it sends, it, it, it sends an RTP stream back to my studio and receives an RTP stream. That's it. That's all we're doing. And then everything else, all of the other functionality that I just explained, I can take advantage of that because I have a raw, uncompressed uh, raw audio TCP stream that's coming from the studio and being delivered to oh, actually the feed that we get is actually a little bit uh, is compressed because we don't we just need to know it's happening we don't actually need to hear it in it in its full fidelity but what's getting recorded is full uncompressed wave by the way I just want to circle back to something we talked about recording in OBS yeah unless any one of you can direct me towards an option that I haven't previously seen I don't believe it's possible to record uncompressed audio in OBS when I go into the output settings even if I go into advanced when I click on the audio tab I just get the opportunity to set the, a different bit rate and the highest I can go is to 320 which tells me it's probably encoding mp3 because if it were wave I should be able to go significantly higher than that and so if you're only recording audio and you don't have another reason to use OBS I wouldn't use OBS 
just for recording audio because you're you're recording at a fraction of the quality that you could be recording at if you were to use something like Audacity or Reaper. That's good. That's a really good point there. You can, if you're definitely looking to get better quality out of your audio going directly with Audacity or something like that, it's going to give you a much better range there. But for people just starting out, you can use OBS. Hardware Addicts is completely done in OBS. Although we do have separate streams, we record in Ocean Audio and other things that we can combine and utilize that version yet. With the show just starting out, trying to keep editing simple, it, it will work. It's good enough, I think, to start yeah. at least. And not having me be the editor makes it harder. Exactly. <laughs> so the other part is what do we use as webcam? So you can tell Michael uses a Logitech webcam. No, this is an amazing clearly. webcam. This is, um, okay, yeah. yeah, you can tell. Um, I believe Noah uses a webcam as well. I use a Sony mirrorless camera here that is connected to a USB capture card, essentially, to capture the video from the mirrorless camera into the machine. So it, that's how I utilize it. it. Gives you a much better picture quality and those type of things. Well, you have you the you have the sixty five hundred, right? Uh, I think it's the A fifty one hundred actually. So you can tell the difference between a webcam and that. But if you're just starting out and you're wanting to do a show, I did Logitech webcam for years with the DOS Geek channel and even starting here as well. Mm -hmm. So they are perfectly suitable. You can get good enough video out yeah. of them to start you get, out. You get decent video and it's also going to be like 35, 50 bucks, somewhere around there to get a decent quality webcam. And you're There's not going to get hundred. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to get the greatest quality picture, but you're also, if you're just going to start out, you shouldn't be using stuff like that. You shouldn't be putting a lot of money into it just to start. Because if you're, if you try to start it and then you realize you don't, that's not really your thing. You then just spend a lot of money for nothing. So yep. uh, like if you have a phone to record, just use your phone. You can actually uh, use your phone as a webcam through OBS NDI, which is really awesome. Uh, but there is an issue of like battery drainage massively there. So, you know, you can end overheating probably depending yeah, on too. your phone. Um, studio lighting, you know, I utilize a ring light, which I think you can see a lot of times in the TV behind me. I also have a studio light over here that kind of diffuses light. So, you know, I have good room lights and you'll be okay, but you can get fancy with your studio lighting and things. And yeah. I probably would need Wendy from Hardware Addicts to come over here and actually get the lights set up right to make it work, but it, it's good enough. I have three point lighting system. I think sound. I was just, just going to say, if you want the, if you want the, if you want the 15 second version of what Wendy will tell you, uh, Michael, explain what a three point lighting system is. You basically have a, a light going behind you, a light going towards you, and then a, from both angles, so three, two point to you, one point back. You, uh, what you want to do too when you're setting lighting up, you never want the lighting to be. If you're only going to light from one direction, light from below. So you look if like you, you're telling a scary story. Yes, well, exactly. no, 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 not like put a flashlight underneath, but like if you're only going to, if you only have a single light source and you're going to, and you're, you're like, you, you know, you have the room lights and you say, I have this roll of paper towels and I want to improve the look of, of what I look like. If you're only going to do one thing, put something below, look at the difference. Well, I don't know if the webcam is adjusting, but when I put it and, it, and it's and I put something white and it starts to kill the shadow and my whole face starts to come alive and it's not going to be as exaggerated because the webcam is automatically adjusting for me. But if you're going to put a reflector, you're going to put add some light, put it from below. Aside from that, though, when you're going to go to three point, if you can get at face level and try to get the catch lot catch light right inside of the eye and you come come out a little bit so that you're kind of making a v and then look in and then like michael said you want to light behind because you want to give depth to the subject so it doesn't look like they're just blending in you want right. them to stand out and if you put some light that kind of falls down it it it, it accentuates their outline 
Right. Well, one of the things we tell people, too, is if you want to look good on video, if you're planning on doing video content, you got to grow a beard. We keep telling this to Wendy. She's refusing. Uh, but beards definitely help you look better on video. <laughs> yeah, definitely. As Lighting is a very complicated topic because it's a very important piece that most people miss. Because if I've, if you have like for in my office to do this, this my studio or whatever, when I, if I don't have my three point lighting system. I'm actually like orange tinted because of normal lights are typically like a warm glow orange. Tell tint. the truth. You spend a lot of time in tanning beds. No, no, obviously. No, I spend um, a lot of time in tanning beds naturally. So the, uh, the, the three point lighting system is important, but also the most important piece of having three point lighting is to have a dimmer or having some kind of diffuser because that you don't want to have like two lights that are blowing at your face because they will just, they will blind you. So you need to have a dimmer and preferably both a dimmer and a diffuser. And basically the diffuser is just a kind of way, instead of having a light that just shines directly at you and you can see the point hit you, you would create a, you could, you could just use a white piece of paper. You could use a shower curtain. You could use all kinds of stuff. And as long as it, what it's doing is taking that one point and spreading it out over the whole piece so that it's kind of, it's kind of like kind of spraying you with light rather than just lasering it at you. So that's a better approach for light. Wow. When you talk about diffusers, I think about, should we tell people about our makeup crews that we have before we start doing the show and the diffusing makeup that we utilize? I don't even pretty. know if that's a thing. So I think that's I just something you're... you've been doing because the rest of us are not. Oh, you don't guys, not... you guys don't have a makeup crew? Do you we don't have weird. a makeup crew is and that, we decided we don't wear makeup. Is that why are you diffusing your beard? Is that what it is? Yeah, I diffuse the beard. I use a diffuser on my beard. Um sound pads for dampening echo is a very important part, I think. So uh I just you can see the green and black sound pads everywhere. Mm-hmm. This makes a huge difference without them because I have a solid floor. This room would echo like terrible. Custom keyboard options that Michael talked about for OBS and Caden Live. Eric, is there anything different you utilize for DLN Extent? Well, so you guys talked about hardware solutions, and uh, I'm just not in a position where I can do that. I I think hardware is probably the best bet for pro-quality audio. Um, But what I've figured out and have had some success with is if you're doing audio production on the software side, uh, Jack Audio has made a big difference for me in terms of doing a lot of the same things you guys were talking about, a noise gate, de-esser, compressor, equalizer. You can do all of that very easily in Jack in a way that's pretty much impossible in Pulse. You know, it is possible, but it's very difficult and not as, as just straightforward. So Jack has made a huge difference for me. Yeah, and, and uh, Noah mentioned, you know, using a DAW or something to really record the best audio you can. So Nate records his audio on his side in Audacity. I'm using Reaper on my side. And um, we use Mumble to communicate just so we can hear each other. There's actually a new product that got covered recently uh, called CleanFeed. And I'm wondering if, mm. if it's something that might work well for Wendy. Because I, I wonder if with her connection being not so great, that if that codec that they're using or that connection on clean feed might help. I can speak to that. So the, the thing about clean feed is clean feed was specifically dis- so there's clean feed, there's source connect, and there is IPDTL. Those are the three big players. And what they are is they're they're audio conferencing specifically tuned for broadcast. And so in broadcast, what we care about is the highest qu- possible quality with the lowest possible delay, prioritizing the highest possible quality. Whereas most 
conferencing solutions will prioritize the lowest possible delay. Where IP, DTL, Source Connect, and um, and uh, CleanFeed set themselves apart is they use very high audio, uh, very high quality audio encoding algorithms. Now, interestingly enough, Source Connect and CleanFeed are using Opus. So they're using the, an open source codec, which is actually the exact same open source codec that Jitsi uses and Mumble uses. Um, so as, as to your question of will it help, yes, it will help in the, from the sense of they will prioritize the quality over the lowest possible delay. And so you'll just, there'll be a little bit more of a delay, but all of the audio packets will come through, uh, you know, those kinds of things. You'll see that kind of difference. But mm. as far as will the audio will the audio itself sound any better than it would over Mumble? No, because they're using the exact same uh, uh, encoding algorithm. Okay, so yeah, outside of that, I mean, really, it's it's I've basically been teaching myself amateur audio production and video production and things like that over the last year or so, and it's fascinating. I love it. It's something that captivates me and makes me want to continue to learn more. And like I said, I think Jack was the the biggest single thing on the software side that unlocked it for me. Uh, I'm going to actually make some videos on it because it, it's not an easy process to undertake no. if you don't right. know what you're doing. Uh, well, so I do want to get that out there. I think one of the great things that you'll see here is that this has evolved over time. The equipment we use, the yeah. methods we're using to produce content. If you talk to a bunch of different shows, they'll have different things. They've found that they utilize. I think the audio world is much like Linux in itself. You can go so deep into geeking out on it and financially uh, ruin yourself too because there's so much equipment out there mm -hmm. to get. But you just find the sources that work best for you. But yeah. you in just case need to get the best there, microphone possible, like the Rock Band mic from, you know. The oh my <laughs> gosh. Please don't take Michael's advice on that. But in any case, uh, that's some of the equipment. That's some of the software that we use now to produce some of our shows. So hopefully that helps if anyone's out there interested in doing content on YouTube, library doing streaming for gaming, all of this stuff applies because we do all of that utilizing things like OBS. So Ubuntu 2004 beta has been released this week. They're doing an actual Ubuntu testing where all the flavors are included. And so if you're a fan of Ubuntu, they're calling on everyone who's capable to test and open bug reports during this time. And a simple way to get involved and contribute back to the project is just to test it out. Let them know if you find any issues. You could also go into their bug reports and see if you, if you have an issue that other people are experiencing in that kind of way and just, you know, click me too and that sort of thing. You can actually help not only Ubuntu and all the flavors, you're also going to be helping all of the distributions that are based on Ubuntu, like Linux Mint, Elementary, and Zorin, and all the other ones, because by improving 2004, you're also helping improve anything based on 2004, which a lot of those distributions are going to be doing. So uh, 20, Ubuntu 2004 will be an LTS, so you'll have support until April 2025. And some of the features in this release include graphical boot splash screen, updated Yaro theme with light, standard, and dark. The GNOME 3.36 or GNOME Shell 3.36 will be included in the main flavor of Ubuntu. Also, they're improving the ZFS support from the previous experimental. It's still experimental, but it's much more improved. Ubuntu software has been replaced with the Snap Store. And it's it's very light in terms of features of what, because it's more of a polish, which is typical for an LTS release. You don't want to have like massive new changes and go oh, this is broken, but we're supporting it for five five years. So it's kind of a light release for this particular you know version of the LTS with the 2004. But this is not really unusual because you know LTSs are typically in this kind of sense. They're, they're meant to be 
you know, just an iterative version of the previous like testing branches where like in the in-between LTSs, that's where they test things versus the LTS is meant to be like, like, you know, LTS, if you're not aware, means long-term support. So they're going to be supporting it for five years. Or if you have like an enterprise package, you can get up to 10 years and that kind of thing. So they are supporting it for a very long time. So they're not trying to do experimental things to like a big degree and the newest versions of that kind of release. That's why they use the every six months release to do all that stuff. So it makes sense that they're doing it, but also that's just to to talk about the Ubuntu main proper distribution, as well as the infrastructure around Ubuntu is that kind of approach to the LTS. Now that's not necessarily accurate to the flavors. The flavors also do a lot of their own stuff and do a lot of experimental things, even with the LTS. So there's a lot of different flavors that are doing modifications. I mean, the Ubuntu Chillin team are actually making their own UI, which is based on Qt that we talked about in a previous episode. And it was, it's, they're doing their own big changes. Uh, the Lubuntu team actually switched from L- the LXDE to LXQt. So with 1810, they introduced a new version of using the new DE. And this will be the first LTS. So in between, they made these massive differences. So if you look at between 1804 and 2004 for Lubuntu, there's a huge amount of changes and a lot of them are super exciting. So even though the main infrastructure piece of Ubuntu, you know, isn't doing a lot of huge differences, there's a lot of things around it that are. And I think it's re- really awesome that this release is coming because, you know, every single April we, we're, you know, we're looking at a new version of Ubuntu, but every two years we get the new LTS and you get to see uh, new updates to the other distributions that are based on LTS, like, you know, Zorin or Linux Mint Elementary. There's all those benefits as well. So I think that this is really good and I'm excited to see what happens in the Ubuntu world uh, because there's, I mean, especially with like the flavors, I can't wait to try out Ubuntu, for example. So, so Noah, the- you talked about ZFS support and being a critical thing that you're really looking forward to in here. So for your average desktop user, improve ZFS support. Obviously, it's still experimental. They're still working right. out, making sure it's going to fit in and be perfect and stable like Ubuntu likes to do. Why does a normal desktop user care about ZFS? Why should I care? I I, th- I think mostly the, the exciting thing about the ZFS being included is that it's just a checkbox now. And so people can people can feel free to start trying that. I mean, anytime you start modifying the system by installing different packages, so on and so forth, and 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 compiling various things into the kernel. Obviously, that may have unpredicted results, and so people shy away from doing that. And I think this makes it very inviting to do so. And you can start playing with features like the ability to roll back if you if you have a problem with an update, or you have a problem with the way a configuration change you've made to your system. You have the opportunity to just roll back to a different snapshot in ZFS. Now that those kinds of options are going to become available to people using Ubuntu without having to recompile and, you know, compile DKMS and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, it, to me, the exciting part about a new LTS is the updated hardware support and uh, updated packages and all of that. And then just the fact that it trickles down across the entire ecosystem, right? Because so many things are based on the Ubuntu LTS. Yeah, right. So I'm looking forward to later this year as that that process happens um, you know, in particular. And I know Ryan, you've had some issues with, with uh, fixed releases and, and newer hardware. The laptop I have 1804, just, it just doesn't run very, very well. I, in, until they hit about 1810 or 1904, I was having some, some compatibility issues. So 
2004 should run perfectly on this system. And then that just means that all of the downstream stuff is going to run great too. So, Absolutely. And I do want to say they want testers out there, but consider also testing for the flavors there. Ubuntu Budgie, if you look at their release notes, you know, Dustin's a huge friend of the show. They're revamping their window shuffler, which we talked about Pop OS's window tiling tool. That's their version of that. They've got a bunch of new features with 4K resolution support and things like that out there. So consider testing some of the flavors as well and help them out during this time. Because if you're somebody who's complained about stability issues or things not working, this is your chance to get involved directly with the community test and help them make sure they can get the fixes in before the final release. Yeah. And this is a big way to get involved. So if you're in, if you've ever had an issue that you wanted to get addressed, this is a great time to do it because they're all participating in this testing, this testing week, and they're all very attentive because of that. So definitely submit your bug reports and stuff like that. If you have them. And don't think that anything you find is trivial because believe it or not, I, I personally know people that have found things that didn't seem like a big deal, but if they had gotten overlooked. Uh, so everybody who tests, it helps. Yeah, absolutely. If people not, might not think it's a big deal, to your point, also there's there's the problem of like a thousand paper cuts where you know, one thing might be a tiny thing, but having a bunch of those could turn into a problem as well. So, you know, everything, no matter how small you think it is, it's worth suggesting and letting them know about it. So this week's spotlight is a software from uh, Javier. He was actually listening to Hardware Addicts episode where I mentioned that I got a teleprompter. And he said, and so I was talking about the teleprompter in terms of like the product that I got. And he let us know that he's worked on some software for teleprompters. So that is pretty awesome. So the way they describe it is we created the to promote the democratization of media by enabling more people to produce quality content at low cost and to promote the adoption of free software solutions by media industries. So if you're not familiar with it, a teleprompter is a way to easily be fluid of what you're going to say, unlike this current topic of what I'm saying, because this is all off the cuff. Uh, but this it allows you to see. Why didn't you get your teleprompter out? Because it's over here and the it's not the right direction. The show could have been direction. so much better, Noah, it's, if it's, you would have got his teleprompter out. You know, because I knew you were going to interrupt I'm, me like you always do. So it's this that, is the problem. How would I the teleprompter with? wouldn't matter if he interrupted you. You'd just go right back to what you're saying. But yeah, you you'd go to the teleprompter. Correct. Exactly. I'm going right back now. So anyway, so let this, me get this, this straight, though. Before you wait, before you finish this thought. You're well, on a, to... you have a stool and now you have a teleprompter. Who do you think you are, mister? I'm a professional. That's who I think I am. <laughs> he thinks he's presidential now, Noah. No, he's got I'm, a teleprompter. I'm, prefer- I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm better than presidential. I'm professional. All right. Professional media c- creator. That's exactly what we're talking. Anyway. You're so interrupting Javier's work here. Can you just you, talk about You're interrupting. You, uh, I'm confused. And, okay. Let's just get back to the teleprompting. Uh, so... This is a, a, a piece of software that you can run in your browser and it gives you ability to do mirror screen effects so you can have it bounce off of like a piece of glass that you would be using. Uh, there's rich text editing. There's smart screen options. There's also able to do like uh, section marking. Uh, there's custom styles so you can make it look like however you want it to and make it to bounce off like whatever kind of glass you're using. Uh, also, it has a timer system and it has the like basically has the, the, func- the fundamental things of teleprompters as well so you can have like an automatic scroll. So so if you're not familiar with what a teleprompter allows you to do, it just allows you to do like an automatic scroll. So you don't have to keep messing with the content that you're seeing. It will just kind of go with you as you go through it in the recording. So they're very handy. And I have tested my teleprompter once 
and I realized that it is a fantastic value that I wish I would ever I would have got it way before. Uh, it makes it makes it a lot easier to stick onto a subject as long as you have written out a script to stick to or written out an outline. Unlike this particular time where we I haven't done that. Is this the same technology you would use in a karaoke machine? It is very similar, except it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not exactly because karaoke is just like the text shows and then it if, replaces and then shows again. Whereas this is kind of like a scrolling effect, so it's very smooth. Yeah. Ah. If you've um, ever seen, uh, if you've ever seen a, a a newscast, like they, that's what they're doing. They're reading off of a pre-done script. That's how why they never make a mistake. They never forget their words. That kind of thing. And usually, there's somebody there with it's just a mouse, and they can use the scroll to determine how fast the words mm-hmm. go and then there's like a little carrot that tells you where you're supposed to be so this, you're, this isn't automatically scrolling as you're talking it's it not is. detecting it the word yeah, it, it is. is oh wow yeah i'm actually looking at it i'm looking at it right now i just opened up the link from the show notes and you can just literally start the demo right from there and yeah so you've got your mouse and you can scroll wheel uh you know if you go up it increases the speed you go down it decreases you can uh there's different modifier keys where you can change the text size and different and I've looked at teleprompt software before and it was pretty terrible. And this, I literally started using it in 10 seconds. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, it's very, it's very it's, nice. Yeah. And they have a snap package. Yep. Yeah. This is, this is super slick. I like this. Yeah. It's very nice. Yeah. This is, it's a, it's a pretty cool a- application. If you want to check it out, imaginary teleprompter it has a link in the show notes and imaginary is people who imaginary films, are the people who make the teleprompter. So it's not like, doesn't exist. It's not an imaginary teleprompter. It's just, it's just it's what it's called. Just say so you know. Dad joke. Number yeah. Two. Number two. Always. So looking back at the history of your bash commands is a very valuable tool for retracing the steps while you're troubleshooting or setting up something for the very first time. Now, one of the issues I've personally run into multiple times is if you ever use multiple terminals to solve an issue, the history isn't saved between them all. So I can go through, open the terminal, look at my history and go, wait a minute, I knew there was a command I ran that fixed this thing and I want to talk about it in a video that I made or tell somebody else about it and it's not there because I forgot I used a different terminal when I ran that. Well, there is a command to solve that for you. It's shop T with attack S and then hiss depend. And what that's do, shop is a shell built-in command to set and unset various bash shell options. This allows multiple terminal sessions to write to the history at the exact same time. So no matter what terminal session you're using, you're going to be able to see those past commands. In most environments, this option is not enabled. So this will work whether you're doing local work in the terminal or over SSH. You just run that shop SHOPT with attack S, hist append, and you will have all of your history in one appended file. And I did not know about this, so thank you, Ryan, for bringing this up because that drives me crazy that I open a ephemeral terminal, terminal, right? And I did some commands, and now that history is just gone. Yep. So yeah. this is really cool. Thank yeah, you awesome. for we need, to, we need to find a way to get this to work across machines. Like, yeah, like a sync thing or something. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. get your bashes. Like that would be the bee's knees. If I had access to like every command I ran on any machine, I could just go through and search. Oof. Oh yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, I'm there might be a way to do like you sync the history and you just kind of like merge them together because you can do appending yeah. files together. So that'd be interesting too. Uh, but yeah, this is actually really cool, and I didn't know about it either. And I also didn't know it was his depend because I actually said his tapend. Like that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, so this is a really good tip. By the way, I think it's SH opt, not shop T. <laughs> shop. <laughs> You're right. Dang it. Just, 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 just saying. I said shop T too. I know. It's cute. I like it. It's funny. It's cute. It's he's fun like, to say. He's going to be on deal you know and extend. Here, you know, you know those here, guys I'll are tell you so what. cute. Here's my answer to people that come up with names like Shop T. Name your program or something, something I can pronounce. And then put you want to pronounce there. Shop T. <laughs> or or name it something that's not meant to be pronounced and make it obviously not Would pronounceable. You, look at NeoJet's comment. Shop T say? for deal and t-shirts. <laughs> 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 Nico's on fire today, man. <laughs> Love it. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. If you want a behind the scenes pass into the making of the show and an opportunity to chat with us live, consider becoming a patron. Our patrons help keep the show going and get perks like access to the live recordings and unedited versions of the show, which we are completely regretting today because we're getting trolled so brilliantly <laughs> by our patrons, which has been amazing. The best part is you can join us for just a few dollars on Patreon or sponsors. Destination Linux Network also offers a great way for you to become a part of the community by going to destinationlinux.network and joining our forums. Discuss the shows, the network with listeners from all around the world, all in one place. If you're looking for more live chat sessions, then join us on our Telegram group where we have over 1,378... Why do we have 1,370? We have over 1,300 members. It doesn't matter how much in the 1,300. We have 1,300 members, over 1,300 members in the community, all acting with all interacting with one another and sharing their passion for... Li Listen, if you want to find out how many members there are, join the group and you'll find out. You get an up-to-date count. It tells you that right at the top. Head to destinationlinux.network to learn more. You're still adding more to it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm done talking. I fixed it. I put while you're reading it. Yeah, that's helpful, right? That's no, okay. <laughs> Telegram, where we have well over 1,300 ish plus members or more of the community. <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. Discuss the shows, the network with all. all <laughs> Discuss the shows and the network with listeners from all around the world, all in one place. If you're looking for more live chat sessions, then join us in our Telegram group. We have well over 1,300-ish plus members or more of the community interacting with, all <laughs> with one another in one place, sharing their passion for Linux on Telegram. <laughs> Lots of people, like 1,300 or more-ish. Somewhere there in more, that neighborhood. Yes. Check or it out. more. DestinationLinux.network to learn more. We love hearing from you, <laughs> so please get back to us and provide some feedback or ask any burning questions you may have. Send video links or comments to our email address, comments at DestinationLinux.org. Please try to keep the comments brief as we may include them in a future episode of the show. Also, don't forget to go to DLN store and pick up some swag from across the network of podcasts and shows. We have limited edition designs that show off all the founding shows of Destination Linux Network. And seriously, they're about to go down. So if you want to be original and have the original shirt that we launched with, go out and get one now. Grab yourself a hoodie, T-shirts, coffee cup today. Many even claim, and I actually say this and not uh, and pass the red face test here because somebody actually said it and now we can use it. Wearing a DLN shirt is a life-changing experience. So you need to get yourself one. Yep, absolutely. And if you want more content from us, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels you can check out. You can check out Ryan. But you can find him on his YouTube channel going to youtube.com slash dosgeek or dosgeekcommunity.com where he fills your brains on hardware, software, and all things Linux. 
You can also check out my content at TuxDigital.com, where I do an in-depth weekly Linux news podcast, This Week in Linux, and other Linux-related content. Noah can be found at the AskNoahShow.com, where he does a weekly talk radio show at 6 p.m. Central on Tuesdays, and you can join him, and he'll answer your Linux, tech, and sometimes business questions. And you can find Eric on the Destination Linux Network Extend podcast, or DLN Extend, where, and also his YouTube channel. We'll have links to all this in, in the description. And uh, front, the front page of Linux, you can also find his content made there. And uh, check out all of his great content. We'll have links to all of this in the show notes below. Throughout the week, we invite you to check out a lot of the other shows that we're making on the Destination Linux Network. Shows like Hardware Addicts, Linux for Everyone, and DLN Extend. And now we have an entirely new way for you to experience the Destination Linux Network, and that is with FrontPageLinux.com. This is a new site that we have launched specifically dedicated to written content. So that means that you can do it on your phone. It means you can do it on sitting on your couch. Places that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to put earbuds in and listen to us or watch us. And we encourage encourage you to help expand the network by sharing those news articles. If you find something in there and you think it's useful or you reference it in your show, please give us a mention. Let us know where you let people know where you found that valuable resource so that other people can find it too. share that on social media, uh, you know, when you're linking and, and so on and so forth. And we invite you to do that. Stay up to date by going to frontpagelinux.com and that will keep you up to date with the latest on Linux and open source news. And we don't really want to spend a lot of time on the, the topic that is everywhere, right? But we do have to address it in some cases. So we want to let you know that our very own Jason Evangelo of Linux for Everyone has created a folding at home group where for the Destination Linux Network. So you can join that if you want to be a part of the, the people helping using your computers to uh, find the inf- valuable information and cover inf- information about COVID-19 and other diseases. You can join the team for DLN by joining team 240869. That's 240869. We'll have that d- those details in the show notes as well. And also, we want to let you know, if you're in a position to help out financially in these trying times, we want you to check out feedingamerica.org and you, also your local feed, food banks to help people stay fed in these very, uh, very weird times. Uh, 93% of every dollar that is to, that goes to feedingamerica.org also goes to the programs to do it. And last year, they reached more than 20 million people in over 45 countries through life-saving programs to prevent and treat malnutrition, improve access to clean water, and many more. So it's a very, very good charity. We want you to check it out if you're, if you're in a position that you can. We had a fantastic time today recording. It's always fun to get together as a group and talk about things we're passionate about. And to be able to record it and share it with all of you is just a privilege. And I, for one, certainly hope that you enjoy listening to it half as much as we do making it. So with that, everybody, have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. See you next week.